0: This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Happy Friday, WOMED fam. Welcome back to the WOMED. Jack and I have some news and some updates, as always.
1: (laughs) Egg freezing updates. It turns out that Danielle is not the only reason we're having to delay our egg freezing. You guys will have to tune into this episode and hear a little bit more about why I'm having to delay things maybe for hmm, not sure, to be honest, maybe a month, maybe, maybe a two. month,
0: maybe two. I don't know.
1: To be honest, I'm actually really, really confident that, that this is all happening for a reason and that Danielle and I are going to sync up at some point so we can do this together.
0: Yes, because you know, what do, What does female energy do? Female energy always tends to sync up, especially with your best friends.
1: Yes. And this was perfect timing because Danielle and I just talked to an incredible astrologer, one for a new episode, which that'll come out in a little bit. But also Danielle and I made this poor astrologer stay online with us to discuss an extra more 20 about 20 minutes our birth charts because we selfishly wanted to learn more. But she gave us a massive peace of mind and reminded us that Mercury is in pre-retrograde shadow. Yep. Write that one down. Mm Pre-retrograde shadow. And it shows us that uh, apparently this is when something doesn't work out. But when retrograde is over, it will come back around. So
0: we're calling that our egg freezing.
1: Yes. And today we have an extra special guest on that is truly has been such a major help in this egg freezing journey for us.
0: So this week on the podcast, we are welcoming on Dr. Ultra, who works with Sama Fertility. And Sama Fertility is the national branch that CoFertility is using for their clients and patients to do their egg donation with their keep and split programs. So Dr. Ultra just gets to do the best of both worlds. He gets to help intended parents, and then he also gets to help other people preserve their eggs and fertility. Absolutely.
1: And even in this episode, you guys can hear about how Sama Fertility is helping Danielle do at home ultrasounds. Yeah, at home ultrasounds. So (laughs) can you believe that?
0: So I still can't believe it. It's so awesome. Jack and I will catch you on the other side of this episode. right everybody welcome back to the WOMED. today we have jack and i's personal doctor dr ultra on welcome hi everyone dr ultra is a double board certified ob gyn and he had his fellowship and trained in reproductive endocrinology and infertility so you just you just know it all we're we love you
2: (laughs) good once people get to know me a little more and you know i think they they develop that confidence. And we they trust fully them. trust you now, Dr. Olcha. <laughs> good, good, good. I, I think your listeners are gonna be interested about why there's so much laughter here. Maybe a little bit later. We'll talk about it.
0: <laughs> we could definitely talk about it.
2: Let's just say I you know, I gave them some recommendations which they didn't take and then they regretted it, but that's okay. <laughs> All good.
0: It's fine. It's true. We owed it. We we were bad. <laughs> So post laughter, how are you doing? You had just back from vacation. How are you feeling? Yes.
2: No, I'm doing good. Um, I wish I had more color because I was out of the country in Costa Rica, which is, by the way, a beautiful country. And I would recommend yeah. to go there. Um, but as you can see, I didn't develop that much color. Um, well, it's... You know, it's, sunscreen's important.
0: Sunscreen's really important. So I'm proud yes, of you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes.
1: Danielle's extra, extra proud of
0: you. Yeah.
2: Costa Rica is great. Vacation's good. Um, kind of getting back into the swing of things is away for about a week, but it's, it's good to be back.
0: Amazing, Awesome.
1: So our listeners know that we've been kind of going on this journey with co-fertility and egg freezing for the past few weeks, even past few months at this point. And we've had the privilege of speaking with you multiple times, and we're so grateful to have you on our team personally, but I would love to know what drew you into working with co-fertility. How did you first get involved with them and tell us and our listeners here about your relationship with co-fertility?
2: Yeah, so I mean, first, let me tell you, CoFertility is um, really an amazing, an amazing program. It's an amazing company. It's led by some, you know, truly revolutionary people, um, and uh, we've had only the really like the best success stories with them. So props to them; they're doing a great job. We met them because fertility in general is a pretty small field. It's kind of you know a very niche field, and you tend to bump into the same people over and over again. And we just happened to. Uh, Bump into each other, myself and Lauren, who's the co-founder of, uh, of Cofertility. Um, and we kind of shared our stories. And I think we, uh, meshed really well. There were a lot of, um, harmonies there and we felt that it would be a collaborative, uh, kind of program building to build something together to help people. Um, and, you know, I think what Cofertility does well is they have a, a big reach, um, really nationally across the country. Um, and what they needed was a medical arm or, or, you know, a medical facility that had just as big of a reach. And I think that's what we could offer them since we're a national provider and we can really offer patients fertility services or egg freezing preservation services pretty much around the country. And so it was just, uh, I think, a natural um, a natural union and, and a really good connection. Um, and uh, like I said, Lauren's great and her team is phenomenal.
0: Well, we've been really happy with summer fertility um, and just completely overwhelmed by like the support with co-fertility and, and their mission. So it just makes sense that you guys both aligned so well with that. I want to kind of for our listeners, we know because we've, you know, spoken to you, had our appointments and stuff with you, but what brought you into this field and specifically infertility? Like what makes you so passionate about it?
2: I mean, I, I tell this to everyone, this is the best job in the world. It's, it's really just a unique um, opportunity to help people in a way that's You know, forever giving and, uh, you know, with, with both of you, we're doing egg preservation, but certainly the majority of our patients are coming to us for fertility treatments because they're having problems getting pregnant. And um, there's a lot of pressure that comes along with that. And so to be able to offer patients an avenue to get success and have a child, I think is, is really um, priceless. And it's, it's probably the, the best field in medicine in my experience. Um, that's kind of like, you know, the heartfelt story that the truth of it is there's a lot more involved and I'm very, I mean, I'm very sort of nerdy or geeky. So there's a lot of science. There's a lot of heavy science involved and I I love the science aspect of it. I still remember today, the first time I walked in an IVF laboratory and I was a medical student at the time. And, you know, I just got to witness like literally fertilization happening under the microscope. And, and you watch this single cell divide to two and then from two to go to four and it's just dividing and growing in front of your eyes. I think that's the most like revolution. I mean, it's just it's mind blowing to think that that can be done. Um, and so I think that was kind of that initial hook, and then everything else around it. Just you know, being able to give people that kind of gift, and, and the science really made it the perfect choice for me.
1: It's really a beautiful thing to hear. Healthcare workers, especially providers, finding so much. Joy in what they do and finding fields that they feel extremely aligned with and, and fields that aren't always so depressing and sad. I think I hope that a lot of <laughs> listeners can be inspired by your story, knowing that you can find a field that they feel equally passionate about, but one that also is just really rewarding. Would you say that the science or the personal stories, like the personal getting to see, patients um kind of go through the happy parts of this journey what do you think is your favorite part about working in this field
2: yeah i mean i for sure it started off um very sciencey but i in the last couple years have really appreciated the personal relationships that you develop um and you know sometimes yes i'm a clinician but i find that i'm a little bit of everything like I'm, i'm their therapist sometimes and that's important um you know it's people need a little bit of therapy, they need optimism, right? It's, it can be gloomy, but it can also be very optimistic. And I think what your listeners should know is that every year that goes on, the success rates, whether it's with egg freezing or IVF, just go up and up and up. I mean, they're skyrocketing. Um, and so I would say 10 years ago, we were lucky if we had a 25% chance of success. Now we're looking at um, embryo transfers that can be sometimes 80% successful. So there's just this massive skyrocket. And I think the field in general, you should look at it with optimism um, and it's only going to get better.
0: I love hearing that. And your your passion for this field and like the science of it is, is palpable. And like, I know Jack and I feel very lucky to work with you because you you are, you do encompass a lot of those things that, you know, you don't necessarily get, you know, with your maybe with like your primary care or, you know, in the ER or like other, you know, specialties where they're like a cog in the wheel, they're just trying to like get through and see and like offer as much help to as many patients as they can. So I just think it's really special and we're grateful that there's doctors like you out there.
2: Yeah. I I mean, look, I think that one thing I'm grateful for is that people are open with me and we get to have that, you know, that dialogue um, and we get to, you know, really kind of know each other. Um, and I think people know that I'm giving it one hundred and ten percent and they're giving it one hundred and ten percent, and our goals are aligned, and it, it ends up uh, for the most part working really well. So it's definitely a special relationship and and a bond. Um, I'll tell you the best emails are the ones like I'll get an email a year later that says, "Oh, look, you know, I delivered and this is my baby, and you know I like, call thanks to you and and your team and your and your staff and um so we love we love hearing those stories.
0: We're gonna focus mostly on this one with um, egg preservation and retrieval. Um, What is your favorite part of that process from like the science and like what's most rewarding?
2: Probably the coolest part is when we do the actual egg retrieval, what I, Mm. I almost always do is I will record on my phone like a little video of their eggs coming out of their body. Because um, people just love that. That is and so cool. And it, it's really cool. Um, you know, and unfortunately for most of the time, um, women are asleep when we go, when we do these egg ritual procedures. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love to record that because it's something that they would have never gotten to see. And then after they wake up and, you know, and the anesthesia is cleared, I'll, I'll show them back the video and they see their eggs and they see the the embryologist picking up each egg with a pipette. And they're like, oh my God, those are my eggs. Um, and it's it's a really cool thing to do. So I I don't know how many other REIs do it, but but I try to do it um, with almost every patient that does egg freezing. I think they appreciate seeing that.
1: That is so. That is amazing. And Dr. Ultra, I am really optimistic that one day <laughs> you, we will get to
0: that point yes. where we get those videos.
2: <laughs> God yep, damn it! You will. It's gonna you happen. Will. All right, so <laughs> hopefully you'll share them with your listeners and they'll see what human eggs look like and what That's your eggs so look like
0: i cool. definitely yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm like totally re-inspired to keep keep going through this process because Dee and I, um, as we talked about on the podcast, have had some um, some hurdles here and there. So Danielle obviously has been struggling with um, anemia, which I think is awesome. I mean, great that you found out that you were so freaking anemic. I don't know how you were functioning as a human with a hemoglobin that like is borderline. You need to get a blood transfusion. So...
0: Um, and color is like, good know, today, though.
2: You've got really nice I have I have makeup on. Okay. Spray tan. Yeah. But, well, your hemoglobin is higher, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah.
0: here's hoping. I've been chewing on iron, so. Good. <laughs> and
2: good.
0: then also with, you know,
1: finding um, a cyst on a uh, recent ultrasound. So can we just talk really quickly about like Danielle, what you're talking, if Danielle's comfortable with, you know, yeah. your labs, and then we'll kind of jump into some of the, you know, the anemia with her, how common is that? What's the treatment like? And then with me talking about the cyst and how like scary that can be for patients to hear and what that means as well.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that I'll just chime in real quick. I think that everyone that goes through egg freezing or really any medical procedure typically gets some kind of pre-testing done in advance. Um, whether it's something really minor or something major the, the testing might be different, but the, you know, the same, the same holds true with women who are doing egg freezing. So it's very common that we'll do a set of blood work. We'll look at things like anemia, but we look at other things. We look at your vitamin D level. We look at your thyroid level. Um, we look at other hormones in your body, like prolactin and FSH and estrogen levels. We want to make sure someone's not diabetic. And then of course we do an ultrasound, which is again, everything that both of you did, And every once in a while, we'll catch a couple things that are off that just need to be adjusted or fixed before they start, so that you not only have a healthy cycle, um, but that you have a very that you have a very efficient cycle and we get the most out of it. Um, But yeah, I'll let Danielle kind of share maybe her story and um, chime in.
0: Yeah. So well, we haven't done the ultrasound yet, so hopefully there's nothing. Hopefully there's nothing weird hiding. I've actually had a few of those in the past just to try and figure out why my periods were so heavy, which is kind of like ebbed and flowed, but you know, apparently it's been making me very anemic. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs>
2: that'll do it.
0: That'll that'll do it. Part of the initial testing, like you said, is is doing like a round of labs and blood work. And well, my initial meeting with you, you actually I was like, ah, iron schmiron, and then I was like, oh wait, no, like this is <laughs> Oh, this is that bad. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and I was happy to hear that like the main like the the powerhouse like the the AMH levels which is what you know it's like the first thing that y'all look at was great with me. Cause like, that was a big fear with me. My mom went through early menopause at 37. I don't have any other history of that, of early menopause in my family on like my mom's side or my dad's side, but like that had been a number that had always kind of stuck with me. And being that I was the same age as my mom, that gave me a lot of relief knowing that my AMH showed like, it was great. It showed that I still had a good quantity of, <laughs> of eggs
2: left. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's a really good starting point. Um, you don't have to do 101 tests. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, when when we started collaborating with CoFertility, one of the first things you know we did together was make sure that all the patients or, or their you know their clients that the women that come through CoFertility that they all at least get an AMH test um, because that's kind of the first gate into figuring out whether you're going to be okay or whether you need to things going, right? Like do you need to Mm -hmm. do this tomorrow or or do you have a year or two to wait to do your, you know, to do your egg freezing? It's always that kind of sigh of relief though when someone gets a level that's 1.52 or higher. Um and I think though, you know, that's a that's a relatively good level to have.
1: I'm actually not familiar. I mean obviously I'm familiar with the the lab of the AMH because we actually discussed it in our last episode with Dr. Mira Shaw. So for people that maybe want to know more about that, we can refer them back to their previous episode. But what is a typical, what is a normal lab value and like what's the, what are the cutoffs for that or cutoffs? <laughs>
2: yeah. You know, there's a wide distribution from AMH, right. It could be as low as zero. Um, and it can be as high as I've seen even 10, 12, 15. So it's correlated with age. Um, and so the older you are, the AMH will fall. So there's no single lab value. Um, what I would say is that if you're someone who is between 30 and 35, um, you know, a, a level of like two to five would be a pretty good range. And then after 35, we do see that level start to drop and drop. What we what we do know is that if the AMH is less than 1.1, um, that tends to mean that, it, that you may have worse prognosis in terms of getting properly stimulated to get a good amount of eggs on a single cycle. So it doesn't mean that you can't do egg freezing if you have a lower AMH, what it means is that you may need to do it more than once so that you get the adequate amount of eggs to kind of give yourself the insurance policy that this is enough eggs for where I am. Age is really important as well, because as you get older, the quantity of eggs might go down, but the quality can go down too. Mm-hmm. So I always tell women, if I had a choice, if I was 45 and I got 10 eggs on a single cycle, or I was 30... 15 years younger, but I only got three eggs, I'd almost rather be 30 and get the three eggs because the quality at 30 is so much better compared to 45, where we see at 45, we kind of hit this threshold where about almost 90% of the eggs are abnormal. Um, And so it's, it's really difficult, Um, again, not impossible, Uh, doesn't mean that you can't freeze eggs at 45, it just means that you would need to freeze so many more eggs um, compared to 30. So age makes a difference. AMH makes a difference. Um, it, it kind of, you know, we should, we put it all together.
0: Is there a way to tell through the AMH what quality eggs you have left?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, what I would say is it's not very well correlated. Okay. I think age is better correlated to quality in general. AMH is something that Really, we originally used in medicine to decide how much of stimulant or how much medication someone needs to get an appropriate response. So there's sort of this curve. You know, if the AMH was two, you gave them this much medicine. If the AMH was three, you maybe give them a little less, right? If the AMH was really low, they might need more medicine. And that's really how it was used. Later on, um, people started looking at it and trying to use it to predict things like early menopause or, or perimenopause, right? Mm. But it hasn't been the greatest predictor of that. Um, it hasn't even been the greatest predictor of the likelihood to get pregnant. There was a study that was done recently, it must have been about four or five years ago now, that looked at a huge group of women um, who were just trying to conceive, didn't get fertility treatment. They were trying on their own and looked at their AMH. And it wasn't really correlated to which one got pregnant or not. So I, I would say it's not a, Rate factor to try to figure out if you're going to hit menopause or not. It's really used primarily to know how much medicine we should give you in an egg freezing cycle. But we extrapolate it a little bit, right? And and we do know that women with lower AMHs just tend to have a, a little bit of a harder time.
1: Besides the AMH, we talked about the CBC. Uh, you guys do an A1C, um, vitamin D, which I actually, we didn't talk about my labs, uh, my first round of labs when I got it done like a month ago, you and I, but I like know that I'm vitamin D deficient, so don't even tell me. So <laughs> <Okay. laughs> why I'm kind of like, can we actually wait until it's like midsummer when my vitamin D is hopefully higher? Um, but what are some of those other labs that you you kind of will have a discussion with patients about waiting for so they can optimize the egg retrieval? because. Like, you know, Danielle and I have talked about this so many times. Egg preservation is not cheap. Even, you know, if going with co-fertility is such a wonderful option because it takes away that level of inaccessibility. But for the average person that is working with anyone to egg freeze, it's really expensive. So you want to optimize your physical, mental, emotional health. So what are some of those other ways to optimize that you can see through the labs or other you know workups?
2: Sure. I mean, I, I usually will split it up into things like blood work, ultrasound, and then lifestyle factors, right? Um, some things you can't change. Right? So when, when you have a cyst on your ovary, you you can't just magically make that go away. Um, but the ultrasound helps us identify that there's a cyst there um, and helps us identify that maybe this isn't the right time to start and we should delay so that it gets optimized. On the blood work side of things, we look at things like vitamin D, because there's lots of you now tons, tons of data now on vitamin D and how, when it's optimized, we actually get better quality eggs on an egg retrieval cycle. Wow. Awesome. If someone's really interested, um, there's an author, her name is Lubna Paul, uh, P-A-L is the last name, um, who does a lot of work on vitamin D in fertility um, and just really a great resource. Um, but in general, the, the short answer is it should be optimized. And ideally we want a vitamin D level of around 40 or higher which is even above the regular threshold. Um, but it turns out that, if, that you're, you know, if you're super physiologically high on vitamin D, your equality quality tends to be a little bit better.
0: Which, my vitamin D was great. Was nice. <laughs> it? How? Do you take vitamin D? Well, I do take a little bit. There, I had these like... Secretly you... taking things Shh. and
2: she doesn't tell you. <laughs>
0: She's so psycho about sunscreen too. I'm like, you're not getting it from the sun, bitch. Like, I don't know how <laughs> you're getting it don't. From the sun I don't know, know how. Um, but I do, I do have like a vitamin D supplement that, um, apparently works very well. And it's just like a little dropper thing, but, um, I can put that in the show notes. So we're if not one were to be
1: deficient, them. do you recommend like two, th- is it 2000 I use or like, is it, do you recommend a higher dose if you're deficient
0: <laughs> and like are really do doing egg freezing Doing a
2: cycle? Exactly. Yeah. So it really depends how low I. Usually, um, if it's 25 or less, I'll give you a prescription dose. So it's 50,000 units once a week. So it's really a wow. whopping dose. Yeah. Oh my
1: gosh, I didn't even know what um, came in that form. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Wow. That's,
2: That's actually okay. the recommended dose for vitamin D deficiency, even outside of fertility. Uh, but usually, it's only given when it's less than 20. So we're, you know, okay. we are we'll Okay, you and I are going to talk like later. And
1: you you got to let me know <laughs> my, how bad my vitamin <laughs> D is. <Yeah. laughs>
2: Outside of that, um, you know, 800 to 1200 units a day is usually pretty good to keep people stable. Uh, mm-hmm. But sometimes you need a little boost.
1: You know, Danielle, I'm curious when you had the labs done, you know, besides that, I was like really nervous to, that you were going to tell me my A1C was like 7.4 or something <laughs> ridiculous. And I'm like, oh shit, now I have diabetes too. Like, what? It's almost, it's so funny yeah. being in the patient seat because you're like, there's part of you that's like, I don't want to know. Like, don't tell me. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. If there's mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: and we get that a lot um we get a lot of i mean this is probably more common with men actually who have to do semen analyses and they just have we have a hard the hardest time getting people to do them and i think they just they just don't want to know they'd rather not know yeah. Um, and I mean, I guess the truth could be said of anything else. Like I, I don't like to go to the dentist because I hate hearing that I have a cavity. <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> get it fixed. So sometimes it's, you know, it's better just, well, I wouldn't say it's better not to know, but I understand why you wouldn't want to know.
0: I think part of that's just because, especially as healthcare workers, we know what then is involved with everything else. And we're like,
1: Oh, no. I know. I'm also convinced, like in my years of working in healthcare, that I contracted some sort of communicable disease, whether it's like HIV <laughs> or hepatitis. I, so I'm just like, I have this fear every time I get my blood work done, I'm like, they're going to find it. Like, they're going to find that one time where that patient coughed blood into my face. Like, I definitely <laughs> got some sort of disease.
2: You got anyway. Ebola.
0: <laughs> yeah, you definitely have Ebola. 1000%. <laughs> it's
1: ridiculous. I quit. Danielle, were there any other questions that you wanted to ask about your personal labs or anything else you wanted to to chat about?
0: Based off of my labs, we were going to take a month and I was going to chew on slabs of iron and then get my CBC rechecked, uh, which we are actually going to do next week. Right. But like things that changed with my cycle was I started back on birth control, taking it straight through, which my body kind of fights me on. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest. It just it really wants to bleed, it really wants to have a period, which is where we're kind of at right now. But I'm going to continue to take the birth control through
2: that. And we don't want you to bleed all that blood that you just made for yourself. So, yeah. I, right. you know, I know right. it's, you feel I'm sure you feel the pressure.
0: Um, oh yeah it, you L-
2: know, let it go take Danielle. You off of it.
1: your body does <laughs> yeah. not actually your body doesn't want to bleed right now actually. no
0: it doesn't like i i, I don't want you don't want to bleed right yep. now just no. do some reiki over it but yeah so continuing and that's that was that's the purpose of taking the birth control continuously through is to try and lessen the amount of blood or decrease the period
2: exactly okay and in your case, that's what the birth control is there for. I will mm-hmm. tell you that many women are on birth control before starting egg freezing cycles anyways. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a there's a bit of a misconception. Some people think it's, it's for birth control, but actually the reason we give it to women is because we want to synchronize their eggs so that they all start at the same spot. And that's what the birth control does really well. I, I usually use like the running analogy. So if you have a bunch of racers in a line um, and one is ahead of the pack, right, when they start, then that one's going to finish first. And that's what happens sometimes. I mean, I mean, in fact, naturally, your body wants to ovulate one egg. Um, and so every month, there's going to be a bunch of eggs that get ready. And if they're not synchronized properly, uh, then we'll see one kind of grow ahead of the pack, which is not very efficient. So lots of reasons for using birth control, but that's you mm-hmm. know, certainly one of them is to help you off from being anemic and being pale. <laughs> <laughs> uh, even with makeup. And yep. uh, you know, other reasons like synchronizing a ring light. timing. <laughs> a yes. Light. Yes. Um, yeah, exactly. I think that was really it for you. I don't think you had anything else major.
0: No, I think that was it. I think the only other hiccup that we had was um being that like you do work nationwide. Sometimes there are some areas that you don't have like certain partnerships.
2: Sure, yes. yeah people who are going to do egg freezing need to do blood work and ultrasound pretty routinely, sometimes mm-hmm. two or three times a week. Um, and so we are a nationwide clinic and we have partners all over the country. Uh, but every once in a while, we are in an area where someone just doesn't have, uh, you know, we don't have a local partner for them to go to, or we don't want them to travel three hours. Um, and so I think we're we're going to do it at home with you, right? The total yeah.
0: You know what? I yeah. honestly I could probably draw my own blood. I'm very good at it. And I've got great veins. So
2: we're not gonna have you draw your own blood. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I appreciate the offer. We're not we're not there yet.
0: But but I am gonna be doing my ultrasounds at home.
2: Yes. Which which you don't know much about. <laughs> we didn't discuss no. too much about it, do you? No, yeah.
0: but I'm but I'm very excited about it. It's something that like I've actually wanted to take ultrasound courses with regards to like the aesthetic field and like safe injecting practices there. So sure. I'm excited just to learn how to hold it the right way and like where I'm turning it to get like certain angles and stuff like that. So yeah, I'll be doing transvaginal ultrasounds at home on FaceTime and
2: yep. sort of, on, so- yeah, I've sort of, it's, it's not really FaceTime, Face time, but... We don't actually see a camera. Um, what happens is that we see the image that the ultrasound sees remotely.
0: Yeah. 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 And, and, then, and trying- then
2: we will direct you. Yeah. We, we yes. have a sonographer that will say, okay, you're going to move right, move left, and then they'll take the images. So you're you're just controlling the the location of the machine, but... But remotely, we're actually doing all the imaging, the measurements. We're telling you what to do. Um, Isn't that and it, cool? it works. My really jaw is on the
1: ground. Like, I had no idea you could do this.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Wow.
2: Well, you, you can if you come to SAMA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: That's just another reason why you guys are the best, honestly. That's okay. so cool. I
2: mean, we, we started as a technology company because, again, we, our goal was to make access, um, you know, to, to improve the access to care. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have an IVF center an hour away from you or half an hour away from you, it's really hard to get good care. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so this was one thing that we decided like we we needed to kind of push this technology forward.
1: Wow. That's going to be a really cool like video for you to share with people. Not, I mean, not the internals of the <laughs> transnational not- <off> <laughs> but like the fact yeah. that you get to do it at home is really cool.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm well, we can that.
2: probably record the screen of the you know what the ultrasound is seeing. Yeah. Um, I think that might be kind of cool for your viewers to see, like what does a follicle look like on ultrasound, and yeah, um, how how does it look from day one to day five to day ten, and how it grows. I, I mean, there's a oh, really cool. I think that's fascinating.
0: Things. Yeah, yeah. If you can screen record whatever I'm doing. <laughs>
2: we won't show anything x-rated don't worry
0: no no we're not that's not this kind of podcast yep, exactly um, <laughs> but jack um i do you feel comfortable sharing a little bit about your process through this
1: yeah so um well actually now i don't even want to know the other lab results like my a1c because um i just don't want to know but I'm assuming everything else was fine. So I'm not going to ask questions (laughs) um, besides I know I'm vitamin D deficient. Um, I actually have an identical twin sister who is trying to get pregnant right now, her and her husband. And she was like, can you find out your AMH level? Like, are we like, are you fine? Like, are we fine? Um, She's like, by the way, I was. Does that work for twins? I mean, it's we're just being funny. Like we're identical. (laughs) But she did tell me like before I started this, she's like, Jackie, I I am so vitamin D deficient. So like you probably are super D. Deficient too, so I'm I'm prepared for that. But anyway, you are right on that one. <laughs> yeah, I might be. It's okay. There's worse things. So I do want to just chat briefly about what it means if someone's going through this process to find assist an ovarian cyst. Um, you know, I'm obviously I'm sure it depends on the size. If you know, lots of different things, but they are pretty common. What What do you recommend to patients that experience this?
2: Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, what people should know is that it's not just cysts that we find on ultrasounds. We find lots of things on an ultrasound. So a cyst is one of them. And that can sometimes delay your care. Uh, but sometimes we find things like fibroids, or we'll look for things, um, something called an antral count, which is the number of small little eggs that you have growing. Sometimes we see that logistically, the ovaries are just difficult to get to. So if you can imagine, we have to have access to the ovaries. And so if we can't see them on ultrasound, that means we can't pull eggs out of them. So that's another reason why we do these screening ultrasounds, because occasionally we'll have someone who is young and, and maybe is fertile. Um, but the problem is they have large fibroids or they're, they have had surgery and their ovaries are located in a different place. Right? They're, they're mm. kind of behind the uterus. And so if we can't physically see the ovary, then that patient might not be a, the best candidate for egg freezing. Or sometimes, more commonly, we can't see one, but we can see the other, um, and that also means that we can only get half the amount of eggs that we normally get because if they're growing ten on the right and ten on the left, we can only access one ovary. So there's lots, you know, lots of reasons to do an ultrasound. Um, I I don't have an answer for every single one of them, except that there, you know, there's some kind of workup depending on what we find. Uh, with cysts, usually the answer is just to kind of wait, um, wait it out, and it usually goes away on its own in, in a month or so.
1: Well, I'm optimistic and I want one of these damn videos of you taking out my damn eggs, Dr. Ultra. So um, <laughs> too. Uh, so, switching gears a little bit, I want to dive into the medications that are just waiting to be used. First thing I want to ask is, are they okay to still be like, should we be sending them back having to like wait this long? Or are they okay just chilling in our fridge?
2: They're, they're probably okay. <laughs> um, you can always look at the expiration date, uh, but actually... Even if they're a little bit of, i'm not I'm not telling anyone to use expired medicine, so you know don't use expired medicine. I'm just saying that had you know if you were using expired <laughs> medicine, um you know if it's only like a month off, it probably won't make actually any significant difference. So it should be okay uh, just store the you know store them um, the way it's meant to be stored. Most of the medicine can be stored in room temperature. Uh, but but the boxes will have something. If you, I always tell people, if you get something shipped on ice, it probably means that it should be stored on ice. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> OK, so, so what there.
1: what are those common medications that I actually have it again, like fear? I haven't even gone through.
0: I haven't gone through them yet either. So I will say That's I all. was <laughs> very
1: impressed with how cute our little sharps box is, though. I love that we have a cute yes. little sharps good. box. It's very cute. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But what are those medications that you sent and just like brief, brief, brief? what do they do?
2: Yeah. So there's, I would say there's three categories of medicines. Okay. We're not going to go through all the names, but the, the three main categories are, um, medicines that will stimulate the eggs to grow. Right. So those are typically injectables. Um, they're usually tiny, tiny needles, like, like diabetes needles. So many times people don't even feel it. And they're the same hormone that your body naturally produces uh, called FSH, um, except that we give you a little extra. So it's like feeding, you know, it's like feeding children, right? The the more you feed them, the more they'll grow. Um, And so we, we bathe the eggs in this stimulatory medicine called FSH or follicle stimulating hormone. Um, and that's sort of like the first category of medicines that will, that will help induce growth in eggs. The second category of medicine is, are called antagonists. And there's really only two brands in this country that are FDA approved. One is called uh, Cetratide and the other one is called Ganirelix. Same medicine, same dosage, just two different brands. And those antagonists prevent early ovulation. And that's really important. Wow. Okay. Because mm-hmm. we don't want you to show up right at our facility ready for your egg retrieval. And then we look at your ovaries and we're like, oh well, you just ovulated all your eggs. So right, we can't pick them up.
1: And that <laughs> happens. Wow. So you yeah. like you could oh, technically man. ovulate a bunch of eggs.
2: And and most oftentimes ovulation is synchronous. So you ovulate if you ovulate, you ovulate everything at the same time.
0: <gasps> wow. Oh God. And then there's just like think of that. They're just floating in their
2: belly. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Not a good position to be in. It also makes you particularly fertile. Don't forget that,
1: Matt. (laughs) Don't forget that one, everybody. Oh my
0: goodness.
2: Yeah. So so you have to take some type of medication, which we call an antagonist, to prevent early ovulation because we are pushing your eggs, right? We're pushing them Mm -hmm. to grow. And once they grow to a certain size, they're going to want to rupture right? That's just the natural progression, right? Humans, women, they they grow an egg and once it reaches a size, it, it ruptures and that's called ovulation. So we want to push that off until you're in our office. Once you're in our office, yes, then we'd be happy for you to ovulate, Um, but we want to hold that off. So that's the antagonist. And then the third class is a tr- what we call trigger, um, but it's basically a medicine that promotes ovulation so that you ovulate on our time right? Not on your mm-hmm. team, if that makes mm-hmm. sense.
1: So that's the trigger shot. Makes sense. Yeah.
2: That's the trigger yeah. shot. And that's the same order, right? So you start by giving yourself some stimulation medicine. Then mm-hmm. we add the antagonist to prevent them from ovulating early. And then at the end, we stop those two and we, so- we switch to the trigger. Um, and it's usually just a one-time shot. And then your eggs are mature.
1: And then what labs are you monitoring? Because you said, you know, I know every two to three days, it depends on how you're doing with your cycle, that you're monitoring labs and or transvaginal ultrasound. What are you looking at specifically?
2: Yeah, so for blood work, what we're primarily looking at is a rise in the estrogen. So every little egg makes a little bit of estrogen. And so in a normal cycle, your estrogen level might peak at 200 or 300. um, And that's about as much estrogen as one egg will make. But if we are giving you medicine to stimulate all of your eggs, well, not all, but all of the eggs that month, right, which might be 10 eggs or 12 eggs, then each one is going to make 200 at the end. So what we're looking for is that is the estrogen level to slowly rise from you know, 200 to 800 to 1,000 to 2,000. Um, and that's how we know that we have more than one egg growing. And that's how we know it's a good cycle. We do look for some other things. We, you know, we we do snoop a little bit. So we're we're very sneaky. So we make sure that patients are taking the right medicine. So okay. we'll add some hormones to make sure that you're actually taking your antagonist um, and that you didn't take your trigger by accident. So we'll we'll snoop a little bit, and uh, sometimes we catch people. And we're like, you know, we found that this level is high. Are you sure you're doing the medicine right? Yeah. And then they're like, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you, I messed up my medication. Well, and if you accidentally <laughs> take
1: that trigger shot. Like you're going to ovulate. Yeah.
2: You're going to ovulate. So we'll have to bring yeah. them in like tomorrow. Like, all right, you got to come in tomorrow to do your retrieval. Oh it happens. Gosh. It's rare. So, you know, read the box, make sure you're taking the right thing. There's yes. only three drugs.
0: <laughs> well, you guys do such a thorough job of med teaching too. So um very excited for that to start.
2: Did both of you have a class with our nurse? I, I haven't I'll done do mine there.
0: yet. I haven't done mine. Yet. I haven't done okay, mine no. yet. But I think
1: that's—I know you guys. So, so you'll, you'll
2: do that. Such a great, yeah.
1: such a great resource because even as pretty, I think we're Danielle and I are both pretty health literate, considering we're both—we've been in nursing for over a decade. But. It is a really overwhelming process, even for people that are health literate. Like, I think when you're the Mm -hmm. patient and you're looking at these meds, it's like a psychological switch of like, oh, wait, I'm doing this to like, these are my meds. Like I get, you get so nervous. You don't want to screw it up. So I think that's such a great, great resource.
2: Yeah. We give, um, we pretty much require everyone to speak to our IVF nurse, even Mm -hmm. if, even if they've done IVF or egg freezing before, if they've done any kind of treatment. It's just, yeah. it's a good resource. Um, they'll go through the protocol with you. They they do it on Zoom. So you can actually show them the medication and make mm-hmm. sure that you know what you're doing. Um, so it would encourage anyone that does any kind of egg like freezing cycle to whether it's with us or anyone else, it's always good to, to get the nurses input. they they're usually smarter than we are anyways.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Ulta. No. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you don't flatter it's our egos. You know we love, the nurses love to hear that. <laughs>
0: Well, thank you so so much, Dr. Ultra, for taking time out of your day to come on the podcast and just give our listeners a little bit more insight uh, into the process and you know what labs and what things can look like. And I just think it's so important. Just to there's just there's just not enough conversation about it. You know, it is a nerve wracking thing, but I just. I just feel really confident. I mean, like we, I've obviously had to delay a little bit, but I know, I know it's going to get done. And I've got a lot of peace with that. And you've really walked us through a lot of things already. So we're just very grateful.
1: I echo exactly what Daniel said, echo it completely.
2: (laughs) You're both going to do great. You will both do phenomenal. We'll have lots of eggs and, um, and we'll uh, have videos of stories. Of and videos.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I cannot <laughs> yes. wait. <All> right. <laughs> thank you so much.
2: Well, thank you for having me on the, on the show. It's, it's a real pleasure. And uh, hopefully we get to do this again sometime and uh, give people some um, more optimism and share the rest of your story.
0: Jack, I love Dr. Ultra. And I know we did a bad thing and we just decided on our own accord to stop our birth control. But Dr. Ultra, you're our favorite. We love you so much.
1: You can find Dr. Ultra through Sama Fertility and, of course, Co-Fertility, who we are working with with this egg freezing or egg preservation partnership. You can find Sama Fertility at Sama, S-A-M-A dot life. And of course, you know where to find cofertility. Everything will be in the show notes, but you can find them at cofertility.com. You can also find them on TikTok and on Instagram at cofertility or at freeze by co, which is the account that is just so fun. They they offer so many amazing, hilarious, great resources for you if you are thinking about this journey. Be sure to catch up on all of the episodes from our part one and part two with Lauren Mockler, one of the co-founders and the CEO of Cofertility. The last episode with Dr. Mira Shaw, one of the um, physicians that works as a medical advisor for Cofertility. And then of course we hope you loved this one with Dr. Ultra. If you did, be sure to rate, review, share all of the things And on that note, WOMED out.